So Michael, I was thinking this past week about something very interesting. I did not know about juries. And uh, when I ran it by you, I was surprised that the first thing you said is, oh, there's so many things you don't know about juries. (laughs) And you were right. There's so many things I don't know about juries. Jury nullification was the one that I was talking about, which to me is just fascinating. But uh, my thought was, why don't we do a piece where we talk about all the things you may not know about juries? Oh, and, and like you said, Christian, there are a lot of things that people don't know about juries. And there was a professor I had in law school, W.P. Colin Smith. You can Google this guy. He is the quintessential scary paper chase uh, first-year law student's nightmare of a, of a law professor. Um, I loved him. I mean, being the dork that I am, right? And all my classmates hated me for loving this guy. And I, I just, I just thought he was awesome. But well, one of the things that um, Professor Smith would always say is that uh, jury verdicts are are akin to sausages, and Ooh. it's not something you want to see being made. Yikes! Uh, but you know, I mean, jury nullification is is probably up there with the number one things that juries can do that kind of can scare prosecutors um it can scare the people that are for the system right that that are for law and order um I, for those that don't know what jury nullification is as a term it's basically that i mean a jury verdict not guilty in, in this um in this instance a not not guilty verdict um can come at any time for any reason whatsoever and that you could very well be completely guilty of the crime and the jury knows that you're guilty of the crime yet they come back with a not guilty verdict it's basically a a situation where the jury um, despite its belief that the defendant is guilty the jury in effect nullifies that law because it believes that it was either immoral uh, to charge the defendant in the first place or perhaps mm. wrongly applied in this specific instance. So I, I guess what comes to mind here is self-defense. If you murder someone in self-defense or maim someone in self-defense, the law really isn't in dispute. The facts may not be in dispute. Yeah. I, but nonetheless, the jury says not guilty. Is that yeah, really how this, you, how this you, goes? No, definitely on the right path. Self-defense is kind of tricky because you get into situations where it's it's that it's an actual defense for you to use, in which case it really wouldn't be jury nullification. Um, one situation that I can think of that is clear is if, say, um, someone um, is in possession, depending on the state you're in, there mm-hmm. are there are some states that depending on the, the grade of pepper spray you carry, uh, you need an FID card or a, or a license to carry that pepper spray. And so say, for instance, um, a woman is walking to her car at night, um, or a man, we don't have to be sexist about this, um, and they have in their pocket or purse um, one of these uh, high-grade pepper sprays that requires a license. And en route to their car, they're assaulted, and they deter said assailant with that pepper spray. Mm-hmm. And that guy runs away, guy or girl runs away, never to be seen from again. They protected, they they successfully protected themselves against what would be an attack. Um, who knows what the outcome of that attack might be? Beaten up, death, rape, I, I don't know. But nevertheless, you deterred the attack with 
something that you weren't in lawful possession of. And technically, depending uh, on the prosecutor or that county's prosecutor, you could be charged with unlawful possession of a dangerous weapon, uh, to wit, uh, pepper spray. And technically, there's no defense to that. That's true. You were in unlawful possession of this item that you were not supposed to have. And you are guilty of it, regardless of how you used it, whether or not it helped you or not. You're guilty of mm. that crime. That is the kind of instance that I see jury nullification kind of coming about where, you know, morally, you should not have been prosecuted for this. Right. And, and this has to be a majority, right, of the jury? Or is it unanimity? Or Well, no, I mean, in terms of a criminal case, you really only need one holdout because in order to be found guilty of the crime, you have to have been convicted unanimously beyond a reasonable doubt. So if you have one person that says, no, I don't think that this person should, should have been charged in the first place, I'm not voting guilty. At worst, what you get is a hung jury. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the prosecutor could technically charge you again, and they have to start from the beginning. Or you have all the jurors say not guilty, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I guess you're right. In a way, it is unanimous one way or the other, but there are more ways for it to go your way as a defendant. What I found most interesting about this was I didn't know where I would learn this. Like, where would I learn that a jury can do this? Is this something that the judge tells you when you walk in? Like, hey, just so you guys know. There's a lot of things juries can do, and this is one of them. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, I, I guess uh, the, the power there is, is with the jury and, and is with the that kind of um, anonymous procedure that happens once the jury goes into deliberation. So mm -hmm. once you leave the courtroom and start deliberating and, and you return to the courtroom with your verdict, you don't get to see any of that as a judge, as an attorney, as the public. You just you, you don't see it. Once the verdict is returned, the, the jurors are, are open in most states to talk about the case. Um, so you do get some insight. Some judges will actually uh, invite jurors back so that attorneys can can speak with the jurors, which, which I find interesting. Massachusetts does this where judges will get feedback from jurors on the, on, on the attorneys and allow you to hear that feedback just to see how you did during the trial, what you, what they liked, what they didn't like. But for the most part, you don't get to see what happens behind those closed doors. Whatever reason they come back not guilty, they don't have to explain it. So when they when they come back not guilty for the woman that used the illegal pepper spray to deter a would-be rapist, they don't have to say why. And it's not guilty. And that's it. I mean, so that's what jury nullification is kind of all about. It's not so much nullifying a law in its entirety. It's really mm -hmm. nullifying... Um, a law being used to prosecute someone in a specific instance. So it's not just jury nullification, though. There's this, this, this is a whole rabbit hole that we can go down and down and down. But uh, another point that you mentioned to me that I thought was very interesting was the extent to which lawyers play a role in selecting the jurors. Like we know there's a selection process and you're kind of talked to by the, the prosecution and the defense, but uh, sounded like there's a lot more control there by the various attorneys than, than we might initially think. Yeah, and if, if anyone's read some John Grisham novels, one, one comes to my mind, Runaway Jury, which has been made into a, I don't know if I'd say a blockbuster hit. <laughs> but it's out uh, there. <laughs> it's out there. It, it's actually got a pretty strong cast. Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, John Cusack, where it's just centered around 
the gun lobby hiring this one hotshot jury selector to kind of you know mm-hmm. weed out the jurors. But yeah, no, lawyers get to play a very large role in selecting who sits in the box. Whether it's a district court case in most states, that's six jurors plus one alternate. I always think, man, it must really stink to be the alternate, right? You have, you don't know. <laughs> you, so when, when, when you sit in the jury, there's seven of you, say, in Massachusetts in a district court case. There's seven of you. Or sometimes eight. Sometimes they have two alternates. I, I, I don't recall, depending on how many jurors they have that day. Say there's one alternate and you're that one guy, but you don't know until the end. You don't know until they go into deliberation and they say, okay, all of you have made it now through, right? No one has had a death in the family and had to, you know, leave this, leave the trial. So now you, juror number five, you're the alternate. You don't get to deliberate. <laughs> Sorry, so you, juror number five. <laughs> you know, it's like, playing. you know, if, if, if I'm being picked for the jury, I... I I want to, I, I want in, you know, like I want, I'm not sitting through this whole thing just for nothing. But anyways, the beginning when the jury is being selected, the lawyers play a huge role. Um, mm-hmm. You have two different types of challenges that uh, a lawyer can use both defense counsel and uh, prosecutor if it's a criminal case or defense counsel and plaintiff's counsel in a civil case. And challenges are directed to the judge and then he makes the decision there or he or she? Uh, yeah. So it technically, yes. Uh, so for instance, there's one type of challenge called a peremptory challenge. There's no cause there. So you can kick anyone off the jury for any reason whatsoever, but you only get to do that three times. That's the federal court. You got three of those. It may differ state to state. I think most states kind of stick to that three. It might differ depending on district court or superior court or whatnot but mm-hmm. federal court that's both you get that's three defense and uh defense and prosecution each get yeah. three so, defense yeah. and prosecution or defense and plaintiffs you each get three any reason whatsoever could be the color of their skin that's fine you don't have to state your reason so if mm-hmm. it's uh if you have a client a defendant who's a young female maybe you want other young females on the jury maybe you don't depending on the circumstances that can all play into your decision as a defense counsel as to how to pick the how to pick your jury and vice versa then for the prosecution. There's also four cause challenges where you get to question the jurors and you get to see if they have biases or prejudices that might impact the case on an individual level. So this must be the source of all the stories you hear about people who say, if you ever want to get out of jury duty, just go in there and say, I'm a tremendous racist. I don't like, what is he, Croatian? I don't like Croatians. Yes. I, 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 I'm for the death penalty. That's right. And, and or, then poof, for the you long, magically get For the sent longest back to time, work. all you have to do was say, you know, my third cousin is a police officer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. That, you know, and you're, <laughs> you're gone. Um, gone. Actually, there's a funny story, of course, revolving around um, Professor W.P. Colin Smith. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, as a law professor, you know, he's he's in his 70s now, I think, that he, he got called for jury duty, right? So he shows up. While, while he was an attorney? While he's a law professor. Is that common? He probably moved. And, like, typically oh, when you okay. move and you change voter, rec- like, registration, you kind of pop up on the on the radar because it's kind of done through the RMV, at least in the, at least in Massachusetts, it's it, all gotcha. voting and juries done through the RMV. So he, he shows up to jury duty. Of course, as any like law nerd, right. uh, I think we're all in the same boat as we would love to serve in a jury, you know, like that right, would be, right. that's like the ultimate thing. It'd be awesome. Right. <laughs> so, uh, 
So he, he, he sits through the whole jury selection process. He gets picked to go in the box, right? So he's there. He's now he's being questioned, whatever. And, uh, the defense counsel, it's a civil case, defense counsel peremptory challenges him and kicks him out. And as he's as he's as he's walking as he's walking out the door of the courthouse, literally, I mean not not the door of the courthouse, of the courtroom. So he, he gets out of the jury box and he's walking mm. out the out the door of the courtroom. Defense right. counsel turns to him and says it he didn't he didn't remember, but defense counsel was a former student of his. Defense oh. counsel turns to him and says, have a nice day, professor, and waves to him as he walks out the door. And it's just one of those fat, it's just one of those funny stories where like he, over, like he, you know, he almost got out of jury and he got bounced by one of his own students. Uh, it's just, what a uh, tale. so it, you know, you, it, it, poor P. You can Collins get bounced for any Smith. reason. Yeah. W, w. P. Colin Smith, man. The guy's a, he's a legend over at New England School of Law. Um, People make a big deal out of this kind of stuff. The movie Runaway Jury makes a huge deal out of it, and you gotta love Grisham, right? Because it's uh, it's all the uh, joy of uh, the legal procedure with like an added spice of espionage. Like there's always like earpieces and and you know people running through alleys late at night. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the the think, think it was Pelican Brief where the justices were getting strangled in movie theaters. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You know, you got like the the, the click clad of uh of wooden soled shoes and, and right. wet nighttime cobblestone you know like right uh, it's not that big of a deal but it but it, it does play a huge role and people should understand how much attorneys actually have a role in selecting a jury one way or the other i mean both pro defense and and pro state that's one of those areas of law where people really are on equal footing um, opposite parties are really are an equal footing because they, they do have similar options available to them. Which brings me to, to my last point about juries. Mm-hmm. Um, and this does differ greatly depending on whether or not it's a civil case or a criminal case. <clears throat> but there are ways around juries as a whole. And you know, we, we, people think, oh, I have a right to a jury. You know, I have a right to, I right to be heard by my peers. Yeah, kind of. But kind of not too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so how how kind of not? What what kind of tools do you uh, you attorneys have in your your toolkit there to get around? Sure. For one, though, I mean, you only have a right to a jury in certain criminal cases. So okay, uh, like an absolute right, like an, a constitution, United States constitutional right to a jury, really only applies to certain criminal cases where you face. Um, I believe it, it's a it's a fine of some amount or jail time, right? So if, if you're facing an offense that does not carry jail time, even if it's criminal, you don't technically have to have a jury. Some mm. states increase that right. So you look at uh, at at federal at, at your federal right as being the bare minimum. You can almost equate it to like minimum wage, right? So it's sure. like a federal minimum wage, but then states often increase that but there are plenty of ways around it more so if you're the defendant defendants kind of have the edge in american uh american uh, court systems and that's kind of why we're why we consider awesome. ourselves to, to, you know that's that's one of our great attributes I think. no burden of proof on the defense the first tool that anyone might use especially in a civil case anyways um, would be uh either a motion to dismiss or a motion for judgment in summary Right, so motion for summary judgment, in which case uh, you're basically arguing as the defendant, 
um, or the plaintiff that pleadings have been filed. Yes. But after that, there's really nothing else to argue. We win as a matter of law. This is like the first one of the first steps to kind of weed out a lot of bogus cases. You see this a lot in civil litigation where you can sue anyone for anything. I mean, I could sue Martha Stewart or you could sue someone who wrote a news piece. It's amazing when you think about it. I mean, you can technically file a complaint in any civil court for really any reason whatsoever. It it warrants a response by the defendant. They usually respond by either a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment once we get past that area. So that's kind of step one. And I think I want to explain very briefly that juries are there to decide issues of fact that's why you have a jury. They don't decide issues of law. Judges decide issues of law, hmm. which gets complicated then when you waive your right to a jury trial and go for a bench trial, which is mm-hmm. a, which is just a trial by a judge because then they are the decider of fact and law. Seems like a bad move. Yeah. I mean, more, more, <laughs> more often would, than not, it is. That, yeah. There are certain times uh, when, yeah. when I would go bench. Okay. Uh, that would be when the issues of law, where you think you're going to win an issue of law, even though the facts don't look good for you. Yeah, and then and you, you would... don't trust twelve randoms because who knows? Exactly. They, right, exactly. Right. I don't want to trust the. I don't want to trust the six guys or the twelve guys, depending on which court I'm in. Right. Um, when I think that the, the the stop by the police officer was bad as a Fourth Amendment violation type thing, right? I want I want to rely on the judge on that one. Right. Um, so there's there's that kind of thing, right? Um, but in general, juries only decide facts. So when there's no issues of fact, um, which which happen, you know, these do happen. When there's no issues of fact at stake, then one party or the other, they have the ability to move um, for judgment as a matter of law. And you do this at various points in the case. So one at the very beginning would be summary judgment. And it moves on. It's called a directed verdict. And you can do this when you close your side of the argument or the opposing side closes theirs. So in a criminal case, for instance, the prosecution goes first and they present the case against you as a defendant. At the end of which I would then file a motion for directed verdict saying they haven't met their burden. Mm -hmm. I'm entitled to judgment as a matter of law as of right now. That's going to be denied more often than not. Then I would present. But you got to try. Right? You're going to try. You got to. Yeah. Then you're going to present your side of the case, the defense side, and then you're going to file that same motion again, saying, "Okay, now that all the evidence is done, I'm entitled for a judgment as a matter of law." A lot of the times, that's also denied, and it gets sent to a jury. Uh, at this point, the jury can come back not in your favor, and you still have another tool to use against that, and that's called a judgment, notwithstanding the verdict. Or in Latin, mm-hmm. judgment non obstante where dicto. Beautiful pronunciation, yes. Mike. Yes. You, you got to use the classic pronunciation of Latin. That can really only be done, uh, well, it can be done by a defendant in a criminal case. Um, it can be done by both parties in a civil case. And that's because once a jury acquits a defendant, uh, the state cannot appeal, uh, depending on the situation. There are circumstances where they can, but... Um, very, very rare. Uh, it, an acquittal for a criminal defendant is the backbone of, of, of I would, I would say, a, our criminal justice system. Interesting. But 
there are ways around jury verdicts. And like I said, um, there are circumstances where a judge might say no to the two directed verdicts that I mentioned above. Let's let's send this to a jury. And I've, I've had this happen before and I've seen it happen where a judge will say, let's send this to a jury to see what they think. I, I'm inclined to agree with you, counselor, that you are entitled to a judgment as a matter of law based on based on what all the evidence that's been presented. But and of course, this is out of earshot of the jury, right? They send the jury. They send right. the jury. <laughs> they send the Go jury lap, out of but... the room, and they're like, you know, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Let's see if they come back with that same decision, because that's going to be it's the judge's way of saying that's going to be stronger for you as the criminal defendant, right? To have that jury mm-hmm. acquittal, because mm-hmm. there's nothing that the state can then do. I mean, once you know, once they come back not guilty, it's. That's, I mean, you're golden, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of course, people have watched all sorts of Netflix shows now. I mean, there's there's that uh, Making a Murderer show yeah, out the, there. If, the if you haven't crime seen revolution. it, I mean, it is good. There, there's some there's some fascinating stuff, and I'm, I'm I love that it's been getting more and more attention. But there are ways around jury verdicts, especially in civil cases, and it's it's a bargaining chip too. Because if you have a really, really good argument for a summary judgment motion or a directed verdict motion, you know, you can kind of push the other side to settle because once that happens, you know, once once a judge directs a verdict in your favor or in the opposing side's favor, I mean, the case is over. That's it. It's done. So you can kind of use this, especially in, in, in the civil area, um, mm. in, in civil cases, as a means to kind of gain a little bit of leverage for settlement. These are very, these are peak points in the case, summary judgment directed verdict motions. I've even seen civil cases settle mid-jury, mid-jury deliberation. The defendant might say, oh, I'm talking like, you know, big corporations, right, that are battling it out against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you know, the, oh, the defendant may, may have not have liked how their, how their argument went, and they're going to settle before the jury even comes back from deliberation. Again, mm-hmm. kind of stinks to be on that jury, right? <laughs> what a waste, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it's fascinating stuff, and uh, I I enjoy talking about it. Uh, probably a little bit too much. <laughs> oh, this is good. I think uh, I think everyone would do well to be a little bit more informed what their rights are, what they what's available to them as a participant on a jury. Thank you for listening to this episode of Over and Above. Be sure to check us out on the web at overandabovenews.com. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Media. Also, if you like what you heard, or if you disagree with it, write us a review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. We're on all the major platforms, including SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Mm-hmm.